Chapter Six of Quaidon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Carpenter. Quaidon, Stories and Studies of Strange Things by Lafcadio Hearn. Chapter Six, of a Mirror and a Bell. Eight centuries ago, the priests of Mugenyama, in the province of Totomi, wanted a big bell for their temple, and they asked the women of their parish to help them by contributing old bronze mirrors for bell metal. Even today, in the courts of certain Japanese temples, you may see heaps of old bronze mirrors contributed for such a purpose. The largest collection of this kind that I ever saw was in the court of a temple of the Jodo sect at Hakata in Kyushu. The mirrors had been given for the making of a bronze statue of Amida, thirty-three feet high. There was at this time a young woman, a farmer's wife, living at Muganyama, who presented her mirror to the temple to be used for bell metal, but afterwards she much regretted her mirror. She remembered things that her mother had told her about it, and she remembered that it had belonged not only to her mother, but to her mother's mother and grandmother, and she remembered some happy smiles which it had reflected. Of course, if she could have offered the priests a certain sum of money in place of the mirror, she could have asked them to give back her heirloom. But she had not the money necessary. Whenever she went to the temple, she saw her mirror lying in the courtyard, behind a railing, among hundreds of other mirrors heaped there together. She knew it by the Shochikubai in relief on the back of it, those three fortunate emblems of pine, bamboo, and plum flower, which delighted her baby eyes when her mother first showed her the mirror. She longed for some chance to steal the mirror and hide it, that she might thereafter treasure it always. But the chance did not come, and she became very unhappy, felt as if she had foolishly given away a part of her life. She thought about the old saying that a mirror is like the soul of a woman, a saying mystically expressed by the Chinese character for soul upon the backs of many bronze mirrors, and she feared that it was true in weirder ways than she had before imagined. But she could not dare to speak of her pain to anybody. Now when all the mirrors contributed for the Muganyama bell had been sent to the foundry, the bell founders discovered that there was one mirror among them which would not melt. Again and again they tried to melt it, but it resisted all their efforts. Evidently the woman who had given that mirror to the temple must have regretted the giving. She had not presented her offering with all her heart, and therefore her selfish soul, remaining attached to the mirror, kept it hard and cold in the midst of the furnace. Of course everybody heard of the matter and everybody soon knew whose mirror it was that would not melt, and because of this public exposure of her secret fault, the poor woman became very much ashamed and very angry, and as she could not bear the shame, she drowned herself, after having written a farewell letter containing these words. When I am dead, it will not be difficult to melt the mirror and to cast the bell, but to the person who breaks that bell by ringing it, great wealth will be given by the ghost of me. You must know that the last wish or promise of anybody who dies in anger, or performs suicide in anger, is generally supposed to possess a supernatural force. After the dead woman's mirror had been melted, and the bell had been successfully cast, people remembered the words of that letter. They felt sure that the spirit of the writer would give wealth to the breaker of the bell, and as soon as the bell had been suspended in the court of the temple, they went in multitude to ring it. With all their might and main they swung the ringing beam but the bell proved to be a good bell, and it bravely withstood their assaults. Nevertheless, the people were not easily discouraged. Day after day, at all hours, they continued to ring the bell furiously, caring nothing whatever for the protests of the priests. So the ringing became an affliction, 
and the priests could not endure it, and they got rid of the bell by rolling it down the hill into a swamp. The swamp was deep and swallowed it up, and that was the end of the bell. Only its legend remains, and in that legend it is called the Mugen Kane, or Bell of Mugen. Now there are queer old Japanese beliefs in the magical efficacy of a certain mental operation, implied though not described by the verb nazorairu. The word itself cannot be adequately rendered by any English word, for it is used in relation to many kinds of mimetic magic, as well as in relation to the performance of many religious acts of faith. Common meanings of nazorairu, according to dictionaries, are to imitate, to compare, to liken, but the esoteric meaning is to substitute in imagination one object or action for another, so as to bring about some magical or miraculous result. For example, you cannot afford to build a Buddhist temple, but you can easily lay a pebble before the image of the Buddha, with the same pious feeling that would prompt you to build a temple if you were rich enough to build one. The merit of so offering the pebble becomes equal or almost equal to the merit of erecting a temple. You cannot read the 6,771 volumes of the Buddhist texts, but you can make a revolving library containing them turn round by pushing it like a windlass. And if you push it with an earnest wish that you could read the 6,771 volumes, you will acquire the same merit as the reading of them would enable you to gain. So much will perhaps suffice to explain the religious meanings of Nazorairu. The magical meanings could not all be explained without a great variety of examples, but for present purposes, the following will serve. If you should make a little man of straw, for the same reason that Sister Helen made a little man of wax, and nail it, with nails not less than five inches long, to some tree in a temple grove, at the hour of the ox, and if the person, imaginatively represented by that little straw man, should die thereafter in atrocious agony, that would illustrate one signification of Nazorairu. Or let us suppose that a robber has entered your house during the night, and carried away your valuables. If you can discover the footprints of that robber in your garden and then promptly burn a very large moksa on each of them, the soles of the feet of the robber will become inflamed and will allow him no rest until he returns of his own accord to put himself at your mercy. That is another kind of mimetic magic expressed by the term nazorairu, and a third kind is illustrated by various legends of the Mugenkane. After the bell had been rolled into the swamp, there was, of course, no more chance of ringing it in such wise as to break it. But persons who regretted this loss of opportunity would strike and break objects imaginatively substituted for the bell, thus hoping to please the spirit of the owner of the mirror that had made so much trouble. One of these persons was a woman called Umegai, famed in Japanese legend because of her relation to Kajiwara Kagesue, a warrior of the Heiki clan. While the pair were traveling together, Kajiwara one day found himself in great straits for want of money, and Umegai, remembering the tradition of the bell of Mugen, took a basin of bronze, and mentally representing it to be the bell, beat upon it until she broke it, crying out at the same time for three hundred pieces of gold. A guest of the inn, where the pair were stopping, made inquiry as to the cause of the banging and crying, and on learning the story of the trouble, actually presented Umegai with three hundred ryo in gold. Afterwards a song was made about Umegai's basin of bronze, and that song is sung by dancing girls even to this day. Umegai no chozubachi tateite, o kanega if by striking upon the wash-basin of Umegai I could make honorable money come to me, then I would negotiate for the freedom of all my girl comrades. After this happening, the fame of the Mugen Kane became great, and many people followed the example of Umegai, thereby hoping to emulate her luck. Among these folk was a dissolute farmer who lived near Mugenyama, 
on the bank of the Oigawa. Having wasted his substance in riotous living, the farmer made for himself out of the mud in his garden a clay model of the Mugen Kane, and he beat the clay bell and broke it, crying out the while for great wealth. Then out of the ground before him rose up the figure of a white-robed woman, with long, loose-flowing hair, holding a covered jar. And the woman said, I have come to answer your fervent prayer, as it deserves to be answered. Take, therefore, this jar. So saying, she put the jar into his hands and disappeared. Into his house the happy man rushed to tell his wife the good news. He set down in front of her the covered jar, which was heavy, and they opened it together and they found that it was filled up to the very brim with— But no, I really cannot tell you with what it was filled. End of chapter 6